0: Okay, we're just going to get into the passage, so you've got it open in front of you, but actually I'm just going to essentially look um, at one of the verses uh, in there. I don't know about you, but as I've prepared for Christmas, I've been kind of all sorts of different kind of gatherings in different places with different people, and actually Christmas is a time when people like to philosophize. When you go to a party, for example, a Christmas party, people love to reflect, so Maybe sing a few carols or they have a nice mince pie and have a good party. And they kind of, in a sense of dreamy way, they talk about, you know, isn't community lovely? Aren't the gifts that we share so great? Isn't it lovely to have time off work? And of course, all those things are good. But Christmas has a far more deep and profound meaning to it, as most of us will know. I know whether you've stopped to think that the beginning of both Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel in the Bible both uh, begin in many ways with the facts of Jesus' birth. Been, they deal with the story, they deal with the characters of what we Chris, associate at Christmas. So you've got angels, you've got shepherds, you've got Mary, you've got Joseph, you've got Jesus, you've got a manger, you've got the wise men, the magi coming. But John's gospel has none of that. John's gospel has none of those things of the details of Jesus' birth because John really wants to focus on what does Christmas mean? What does Christmas mean? And verse 14 of the passage that Joe read is the verse I'm just going to quickly look at this morning. The word became flesh and dwe- made his dwelling Amongst us in his glory. So I'm going to look at three things from verse 14. Briefly this morning. Of what it means to celebrate at Christmas time. Firstly, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And most of us all realize that a person's word. Is a pretty clear revelation of who they really are. For example, if... I know whether you've had a period of your life where you've commuted or gone on the same bus at the same time or the same train at the same time, and what you do is you encounter the same people. And you see their clothes, you see their dress, you see what they carry, you maybe hear something that they say or or what they do, some of their habits, and you see it day after day after day after day. But have you ever spoken to them? Or have they ever spoken to you? Have you really met them? Do you know them? Of course, if they've never spoken to you, what you'd actually say is, no. Actually, I don't really know them. I've never really met them. I've just simply seen them at a distance. Because your words, however it is that we express our words, are they one of the most clear expressions and ultimate expressions of who you really are. You reveal yourself through your words. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And when it says here that Jesus Christ is the word of God, that's an extraordinary statement. It's saying you can't know God except through Jesus Christ. It's that bold. You can learn lots of things about God, You can discover, you maybe even believe in who God is. But to know God takes Jesus. To know God takes Jesus. To be in relationship to God takes Jesus. Because Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is. One commentator on John 1 puts it this way. Jesus is the supreme revelation. If we're to know God... Neither rationalism, working your way to God, or mysticism, sort of kind of all sort of experiences of what it might be to to talk about things spiritual, will never suffice. God chose to make himself known. Finally and ultimately, in a real historical man, Jesus Christ. Now there are many times, I'm sure you may be similar, where I've had many conversations with people who say, do you know... If I had the kind of deal-breaking arguments, then I might believe in Christianity. I might believe what you believe this morning. If you can just prove to me that Christianity is true, then we might be onto to something. But the text says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Greek word, for those of you who will know, is logos, which means It's the word for our word for logic. And so what does it mean to say that Jesus is the logic of God, which is what the text is saying? It means God has not given us a watertight argument. He's given us a watertight person. And that watertight person is Jesus Christ. He's given us Jesus Christ as compelling proof that the Bible and the Christianity are true, You have to look at Jesus. And for all of us at different points in our lives, we may have looked at the claims in the Bible, we may have looked at the claims of Jesus' life, looked at his birth. You look at the birth accounts and they're full of extraordinary things. Then you look at his life, you look at his death, you look at his resurrection and then substance ascension. And when you look at all that information, say, what does that say to me? What does that say to me? And you need to make your mind up about what that says to you. Does that fit? Who is he? And my suggestion to you this Christmas time is this. If you're not someone who has made their mind up about Jesus, it's a good time to do it. Because I believe you'll find a life of someone who towers over every other life I've read about. The Son of God, incomparable Beyond compare, a perfect life both in life and death. I could go on. And the Bible gives Jesus' name as the Word. He and the He alone is the compelling truth and essence of what Christianity is all about. It all hangs on Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Word, the ultimate revelation of who God is and what He's like. Secondly, He's the Word. Made flesh, it says in verse 14. The divine became human. The word became flesh. And it's extraordinary to think that God of all humanity, the God of all time, the God of all creation, would make himself vulnerable to creation. It's so radical at Christmas that God, the divine creator, would come amongst us. Would come amongst us. The human becoming human, entirely human, entirely divine. Jesus has come down to us. Jesus has come down to us. To try and illustrate uh, why that's so radical, maybe I'll just tell you this story. In 1964, in Kew Gardens, there was a 28-year-old woman. It's a sort of fairly famous account of a long time ago called Kitty Genovese. And she was going home to her apartment and she was assaulted on the street by an assailant. She cried out, He's stabbing me, help me. There's lots of debate about what actually happened next. But one of the things is up in the apartments above the street where she was attacked, lights came on and people looked out. She was screaming, she was being attacked. She was saying, Help me, I'm being stabbed. But all we know is this, nobody, nobody came down to help. And do you know why? Because they didn't want to risk their own lives. Because you see, we know, and we also know subsequently in the culture we live in, coming down makes you vulnerable. Nobody came down for hurt. One of the things the extraordinary things about this particular story is this is that when the lights first came on, actually the assailant ran away thinking someone was going to come down. But when nobody came down, he subsequently went and reattacked her and killed her. It's a very famous incident in the sixties. And why that's so important is this, remember Jesus has come down to us in all our messiness all our darkness, all our sin. The Lord of heaven hears our cries, and he comes at us. The word became flesh. What that means is he does understand. He's lived our lives. He's become vulnerable to what it means to live. Which is why, as we've said before, which is why we call him the Wonderful Counselor. Those famous words from Isaiah. Of course, the best counsellors are those who've been through stuff and come through it. People who've experienced stuff and actually then got through to the other side. And so they're people we can trust and rely on because they know what it means to live and to experience all the kind of things that people go through. The word became flesh. That's the kind of God we worship. And Christmas is saying God has experienced hunger. God has experienced loneliness. God has experienced homelessness. God has experienced rejection, betrayal, torture, injustice. God has experienced all those things, so that when you and I then experience all sorts of stuff, He has walked before. When you're betrayed by somebody, so is He. When you're broken, so is He? When you're lonely. So was he. When you're facing death and all your fragility, so did he. You can go to him. God we worship. You can go to him. You can go to him. You can trust him and approach him with all your issues. And I think that's a God worth worshipping amongst all sorts of other things and other claims in our culture today. The word became flesh. So this morning, whatever issues you're facing this morning, whatever's top of your list this morning, of stuff that's causing you distress, concern, anxiety, go to him. He is the wonderful counselor. The word became flesh. Lastly, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John literally says is the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. John is deliberately taking the word tabernacle that we'd used of the tabernacle in the Old Testament under Moses. And he's making us remember what that's all about. He's very deliberately linking Old and New Testament. He's enabling, for those of you who remember or know the account of Moses in the Old Testament, Moses was on the mountain. And he said, Moses said, God, I want to know you. I want to experience you. I, Father, I want intimacy. I want to see you. I want power. I want connection. I want to be close to you. Show me your glory, says Moses. Let me see your face. But you remember what God said? Here's what we'll do. I'll build a tabernacle. And that will be my dwelling place. I will dwell in the Holy of Holies behind the veil because my glory must be concealed. You can't, Moses, behold my glory. Concealing it in the tabernacle. Which is exactly the opposite of what we find here in John's Gospel. Exactly the opposite of what we see here. Jesus as a tabernacle means that Jesus Christ has broken all religion. There is no such thing as religion. There's no way in which you need to work yourself to God. You cannot do it. And if you want to understand that, here's a famous little dialogue to try and explain what happens, what Jesus has done by coming to earth and then subsequently living, dying, ascending back to God imagine a conversation between a Christian and a non-Christian. And a non-Christian says, oh, uh, you know, I hear you're a Christian. That's great. They're a new religion. Tell me, where's your temple? The Christian says, well, we don't have a temple. We don't have a tabernacle. Jesus is our temple. So the non-Christian then turns to this Christian friend and says, but where, where do the priests do their thing then? The Christian says, well, I'm sorry, but We don't have priests. Jesus is our priest. What? Says this person who kind of trying to make sense of what kind of religion this Christian is part of. But what about your sacrifices? How are you going to carry favor with the gods? How are you going to make yourself acceptable to the God? How will you know that God accepts you? What have you got to do? What rituals, rules, things have you got to go through? And the Christian says... We don't do sacrifices anymore because Jesus is our sacrifice. Finally, the non-Christian turns to the Christian and says, what kind of religion is this? And the answer is it's no kind of religion at all. See, all other religions says, do your stuff. Do this, do that. Go through this, go through that. And you will make yourself acceptable to God. Christianity says you're accepted because of Christ, period. You're accepted because of Christ, period. Now you get to do all these things, to join in with the life of Christ, the life of the Spirit, the life of my, nothing. but because of Christ. There's nothing you can do that will earn your way into God's book because Jesus is the tabernacle. We don't need more religion. We get a person, and that glorious person that we celebrate this Christian is the Word. The Word of God is because the Word of God has closed the gap for us, the gap of sin, the fall, sin and death and hell, that he's closed that gap for us and made the way back for us to know intimacy and relationship with God. God. There needed to be an atonement, which is part of the later story. I do understand that. You just can't come into my presence. But at Christmas, we celebrate that He comes. He makes it personal. He comes to us, to you, to me. To come, he wants to know, He wants you to be in His presence. He wants you to know the gap has been closed. He wants you to know his life transforming glory, the wonder and glory and splendor and majesty and power of a living God because he's done it for you. That's what Christmas means. The word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. So now we simply behold the glory, the glory that Moses wasn't able to see. Wow. Wow. That's extraordinary that God has done that for it. Jesus is the word of God, the ultimate expression of who God is. He's not pointing us to God. He's not pointing us to a good life. He is God. And that's glorious news for me and you. So this morning, my simple kind of encouragement again is simply is just simply receive him. That's it. We simply receive what God has done for us. So let me just pray. Let's take a moment of quiet and a prayer, and then we're going to respond in worship. Father, we thank you so much that in these texts we see some, so many extraordinary things of who you are and what you've done for us. Inexhaustible truths that continue to shape our lives, to mold us, to to, to change us. And Father, I pray this morning where maybe we've got stuck and feeling that somehow again we're unacceptable to you and we've started to try and do religion. You're simply inviting us back to worship at the footstool of God to simply worship you and celebrate what you've done for us in and through Christ, the living word. Thank you for your extraordinary love for us, that you would come to us. We invite you, we welcome you into all that we are as a church. We say, have your way amongst us, Lord Jesus the life of your word, the living word, the life of your spirit, dwell with us, we pray. And allow the truth of who you are to continue to shape us and to mould us and to change us as we behold your glory. And Father, this morning where actually, I sort of maybe prayed last Sunday as well, but I'm sort of praying again, where people's heads have come down, where Circumstances have crushed us and battered us, or we've maybe done a load of stuff that we wish we hadn't done. We come back to you, Lord Jesus, and say sorry. We welcome you afresh into our life, the living word. Come, Holy Spirit, I pray. Cleanse us. Free us. Free us, Lord Jesus, I pray. Liberate us to live a life that you've called us to. Not in our own strength, but in your glorious power. Show us the way Lead us, we pray. And would you fall afresh upon us this morning? Just calm afresh in your love. Soften our hearts again towards you. And strengthen us for all you've called us to. In Jesus' name. Amen.